0: So, I'm not entirely sure. What would you like to t- to talk about or what could offer this evening? We would be reading the Kalama Sutta tonight. You could read and talk about that. Okay. Okay. Lest have I heard... On one occasion, the Blessed One was wandering on tour together with a large Sangha of monks when he arrived at a town of the Kalamas named Kesaputta. Now, the Kalamas of Kesaputta heard, It is said that the ascetic Gotama, the Sakyan son who went forth from a Sakyan family, has arrived at Kesaputta. Now, a good report about that master Gotama has been circulating thus. That blessed one is an arahant, perfectly enlightened, accomplished in true knowledge and conduct, fortunate, knower of the world, unsurpassed, leader of persons to be tamed, teacher of devas and humans, the enlightened one, the blessed one. Having realized with his own direct knowledge this world with its devas, mara and brahma, this population with its ascetics and brahmins, with his devas and humans, he makes it known to others. He teaches a dhamma that is good in the beginning, good in the middle and good in the end, with the right meaning and expression. He reveals a spiritual life that is perfectly complete and purified. Now it is good to see such arahants. Then the Kalamas of Kesaputta approach the Blessed One. Some paid homage to him and sat down to one side. Some exchanged greetings with him, and after their greetings and cordial talk, sat down to one side. Some saluted him reverentially and sat down to one side. Some remained silent and sat down to one side. Then the Kalama said to the Blessed One, Venerable Sir, some ascetics and Brahmins who come to Kesaputta explain and elucidate their own doctrines, but disparage, debunk, revile and vilify the doctrines of others. But then some other ascetics and Brahmins come to Kesaputta, and they too explain and elucidate their own doctrines, but disparage, debunk, revile and vilify the doctrines of the others. For us, Venerable Sir, there is perplexity and doubt as to which of these good ascetics speaks truth and which speak falsehood. It is fitting for you to be perplexed, O Kalamas. It is fitting for you to be in doubt. Doubt has arisen in you about a perplexing matter. Come, Kalamas. Do not go by oral tradition, by lineage of teaching, by hearsay, by a collection of texts, by logic, by inferential reasoning, by reasoned cogitation, by the acceptance of a view after pondering it, by the seeming competence of a speaker, or because you think the ascetic is our teacher. But when you know for yourselves, these things are unwholesome, these things are blamable; these things are censured by the wise, these things if undertaken and practiced lead to harm and suffering then you should abandon them what do you think Kalamas when greed hatred and delusion arise in a person is it for his welfare or harm? for his harm venerable sir Kalamas a person who is greedy hating and deluded overpowered by greed hatred and delusion his thoughts, controlled by them, will destroy life, take what is not given, engage in sexual misconduct, and tell lies. He will also prompt others to do likewise. Will that conduce to his harm and suffering for a long time? Yes, Venerable Sir. What do you think, Kalamas? Are these things wholesome or unwholesome? Unwholesome, Venerable Sir. Blamable or blameless? blameable venerable sir censured or praised by the wise censured venerable sir undertaken and practiced do they lead to harm and suffering or not or how is it in this case undertaken and practiced these things lead to harm and suffering so it appears to us in this case it was for this reason kalamas that we said do not go by oral tradition Come, Kalamas, do not go by oral tradition, by lineage of teaching, by hearsay, by a collection of texts, by logic, by inferential reasoning, by reasoned cogitation, by the acceptance of a view after pondering it, by the seeming competence of a speaker, or because you think the ascetic is our teacher. But when you know for yourselves... These things are wholesome. These things are blameless. These things are praised by the wise. These things, if undertaken and practised, lead to welfare and happiness, then you should engage in them. What do you think, Kalamas, when non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion arise in a person? Is it for his welfare or harm? For his welfare, Venerable Sir... Kalama is a person who is without greed, without hatred, without delusion not overpowered by greed, hatred and delusion his thoughts not controlled by them will abstain from the destruction of life from taking what is not given from sexual misconduct and from false speech he will also prompt others to do likewise will that conduce to his welfare and happiness for a long time? yes, Venerable Sir what do you think, Kalamas? Are these things wholesome or unwholesome? Wholesome, Venerable Sir. Blameable or blameless? Blameless, Venerable Sir. Censured or praised by the wise? Praised, Venerable Sir. Undertaken and practiced, do they lead to welfare and happiness or not? Or how is it in this case? Undertaken and practiced, these things lead to welfare and happiness so it appears to us in this case. It was for this reason, (coughs) Kalamas, that we said do not go upon oral tradition. Then Kalamas, that noble disciple, devoid of covetousness, devoid of ill will, unconfused, clearly comprehending, ever mindful, dwells, pervading one-quarter with a mind imbued with loving-kindness. Likewise the second quarter, the third, and the fourth. Thus above, (laughs) below, across, and everywhere, and to all as to himself he dwells, pervading the entire world with a mind imbued with loving-kindness, vast, exalted, measureless, without hostility and without ill-will. He dwells pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with compassion, with altruistic joy, with equanimity. Likewise, the second quarter, the third and the fourth, thus above, below, across and everywhere, and to all as to himself, he dwells pervading the entire world with a mind imbued with equanimity, vast, exalted, measureless, without hostility and without ill will. When Kalam as the noble disciple has thus made his mind free of en- enmity, free of ill-will, uncorrupted and pure, he has won four assurances in this very life. The first assurance he has won is this, if there is another world, and if good and bad deeds bear fruit and yield results, it is possible that with the breaking up of the body after death I shall arise in a good destination in the heavenly world. The second assurance is one is this if there is no other world and if good and bad deeds do not bear fruit and yield results still right here in this very life I live happily free of enmity and ill will. The third assurance is one is this suppose evil befalls the evildoer then as I do not intend evil for anyone how can suffering afflict me one who does no evil deed the fourth assurance is one is this suppose evil does not befall the evil doer thus right then right here I see myself purified in both respects when Kalam as the noble disciple has thus made his mind free of enmity free of ill will uncorrupted and pure he has won these four assurances in this very life So it is, Blessed One, so it is, Fortunate One, when this noble disciple has thus made his mind free of enmity, free of ill-will, uncorrupted and pure, he has won these four assurances in this very life. Magnificent, Venerable Sir, magnificent, Venerable Sir, the Blessed One has made the Dhamma clear in many ways, as though he were turning upright what had been overthrown, revealing what was hidden, Showing the way to one who is lost, or holding up a lamp in the darkness, so those with good eyesight can see forms. We now go for refuge to the Blessed One, to the Dhamma and to the Sangha of monks. Let the Blessed One accept us as lay followers who have gone for refuge from today until life's end. This is quite a famous sutta. It's often um, quoted and sometimes slightly misapprehended as uh, um, don't believe anything including what I'm telling you. To find out for yourself. Mm. But actually that's not quite what the Buddha says. He doesn't say don't believe what I'm telling you because you're not telling them anything <laughs> really he's just he's just uh but he is presenting certain tests he's saying check it out so he is actually setting up a standard of reference you know. so it's not as if it's completely open you know because he's saying whether well, a I don't know what these other views that these other recluses had about, but you can see some of them in the Brahma Jala Sutta, where the Buddha goes to the 64 different kinds of views that people can have about the nature of the world and the nature of the self, whether infinite, finite, partly infinite, partly finite, and so on and so on and so on, There's 64 different kind of views about um, what, what is, you know, what exists and what, what doesn't exist. So, And then these are what are being presented as some kind of statement of the nature of truth. And um, the Buddha doesn't bother with that. He doesn't talk about statements of, of ultimate truth you know, or, or speculative views. But he does say, well, there's something you need to check, you know, you, that you need to check with which is whatever you're doing, if you if it's I guess also thinking. Your thoughts are controlled, if your thoughts are controlled by greed, hatred and delusion, he's asking them how will that what will the results of that be? So rather than pointing to a particular statement of something that is or isn't, you know, nature of the divine or God or the hereafter or whether it is or isn't, he's saying, right now, he's pointing them to the principle of cause and effect. So he's actually, you know, sidestepping or not bothering with other views, but pointing directly at the experience of cause and effect as something that you can know for yourself. You can check out for yourself. You can check out, um, you know, what's the effect of the kind of thoughts, actions I have Um, I act upon and um, he's also in that checking out he's pointing to say the immediate kind of wisdom that arises just in understanding cause and effect so you know and that that wisdom will will tell you suffering and the cessation of suffering the wisdom that you can Experience for yourself right now is the wisdom of cause and effect and it will show you what will cause suffering and what will not cause suffering. Yeah. So that's something that you can you can know for yourself. So he is pointing to that, but he's setting that particular check, that particular reference that you because this is what the Buddha teaches. As many things as you know, the the analogy of the four noble truths, a handful of leaves. So there are many things that can be said or that may be true or not true, but I'm only actually teaching you a particular thing. And I'm not even teaching you anything. <laughs> I'm just pointing to how do, you, how do you suffer, how do you stop suffering. And if you're interested in that, then, you know, I've got things I can show you. you know? So it is, it is a particular angle you know he's presenting also he does say things like you know the things one should not um, there's a difference between knowing for yourself and knowing dependent upon these other three classes of um, ways in which you can know. The first class is really dependent upon past information. That's oral tradition, lineage of teaching which is sound, kind of respectable, hearsay which sounds a bit dubious, a collection of texts. So that's the past stuff you know, What you can pick up. So, so, so you don't have to go by that. Then there's various ways in which you can Figure things out by logic, by inferential reasoning, by reasoned cogitation, by the acceptance of view after pondering it. So this is more a sophistic, sophist, a philosophical um, um, understanding. You work something out in your head, or you go just upon the uh, charisma or how you feel about the the person who's telling you it. Whether you you know you, you're inspired by them, they seem bright or they seem um, or you feel Loyal, you know. Well, he is my teacher, so I'll follow him. So all these things are, are ways in which we may feel we we take on an understanding. And say these are not reliable uh, you know, doesn't mean you you, you can't um, examine them. Um, but these these are not the these are not the um, uh, testing point the testing point is to maybe you pick up some of these things and you test them against um, what is what is um, worthy what is um, suffering and not suffering and you see even in there he says um, these things are censured by the wise so you do get a sense in which you, you are not just referring, you are referring to to something outside your own immediate experience but And again, it's 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 very simple, actually. Um, you know, greed, hatred, delusion, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. Um, so he's talking about really two ethical bases: you know, greed, hatred, and uh, uh, also a, a mind state of confusion or delusion. So he's talking about the very states that obsess the mind. And they chime in. You know, so then again, he asks them that, to consider these things. So he's actually setting up some sets of questions that will actually give them, um, cause them to look very immediately. Into their own minds, rather than study a particular view or philosophical system objectively, it's really throwing back things back into the subjective um, frame of reference that you, you're looking, and you're looking essentially at a subjective experience of of um, you know, freedom from suffering or release of suffering. So it's throwing you away from the kind of more um, textbook stuff into a direct experience so that's if you like the, f- the first section second section <coughs> If we look at it like that that have if you're not operating in terms of um, covetousness which is a form of greed Ill will, or confusion, then you will be—you will actually be have a mind that um, tends to radiate and and pervade what are called the four quarters, which generally just basically means above, below, across, and everywhere. These are the four quarters, um, and to others as to oneself, one will pervade this entire holistic sphere with a mind imbued with kindness and with um, compassion and with altruistic joy and with equanimity so you know this this is something again when the mind is is freed from these by itself it naturally moves into a much more um, holistic and empathic state or mode Operates a different way, mm. so it's not saying this is saying you sh- you should do this, but it's just that's what happens <laughs> when you when you remove these these contaminations. The mind just by itself it opens up and it has this quality of of empathy. You know what we might broadly speak of as empathy, it's um, and um, mutuality to others as to myself. So that's in a way the. You know, you can look at um, the removal of ethical blemishes as something you know um, that you're, you're refraining from or cutting away, but you can also see that it, what it what it gives rise to is this sense of deep mutuality and empathy for one, others as oneself, without restriction. So, because of that because of having a mind that's like that, because experiencing the mind in that way, one feels assurance. There is a deep assurance, there's a sense of confidence that, uh, you know, whatever, whether there is or isn't another world, doesn't really matter because, you know, this this is very, this is fine, you know. If if there is another world, then this is gonna take you there and it's good. If there isn't another world, well, you'll be with this for a lifetime and this is good. So that means you don't actually have to have a speculative view as to whether there is or isn't another world, which may in fact be one of those views that these various ascetics and Brahmins were, were debating and vilifying each other around. It seems to be one of those continual concerns that are talked about in the, in the, in the uh, Brahmajala Sutta and in various places where the um, you hear, you know, they, you come across these ascetics and brahmins haranguing and um, you know wrestling with each other. And it's one of the one of the famed ones is whether there is or isn't another world. Uh, or, and one of the other ones is whether there is or isn't a self. And the Buddha doesn't bother with either of those. He said, well, it doesn't really matter if there is or isn't, because this is what you experience right now. And either way, you come out you come out a winner. Um, so that's the first assurance second assurance um, good and bad deeds Uh, it doesn't really matter whether there is or isn't another world one will in this very life live happily free of enmity and ill will and then the third and fourth assurances concern karma and cause and effect if we so if we do not intend evil and if there is no such thing as as cause and effect in other words um, no if there is such a thing as cause and effect if one doesn't intend evil then the effect of that is one will not receive evil Hmm. but if there is no such thing as cause and effect and you don't intend evil still you don't, you, don't, <laughs> you, don't, you don't experience negative results. Hmm. You know, either way, you're either purified in the present moment because you're not, the sense of experiencing evil thoughts is an unpleasant experience, so you're either purified in the present moment or you're purified in the pleasant, present moment and in terms of cause and effect. Is that clear? So, these are the four assurances. And because of this, the the um, the Kalamas of Kesaputta are inspired and uh, confident and they go for refuge to the Blessed One, the Dharma, and to the Sangha of monks. Um, so going for refuge. This um, phrase, going for refuge... Um, It's you know in the kind of Indian tradition, it's often the case that uh, you know because the guru is very highly um, valued as having a kind of uh, intermediary power between the gods and and this world, you can act on your behalf. Then very often, uh, you know the. Uh, in, the, in the Vedic tradition, you, you go for refuge to your guru, because he'll he'll put in a good word for you. He'll, he'll stand by you, you know, as the intermediary. So this is the kind of formula, or you could just recollect him, and it would give you that sense of you know you're, you're in the right place. So in this case, he's taking the blessing, one the Dharma and the Sangha, as that which they will live under the auspices of. They live under the blessing of that. They live under the in the aegis of that so they feel assured because they will stay in line with the the teachings and the the example of the Buddha and the um, company of the Sangha. So I'll stop there and what would you like to comment, does anything arise for yourselves? in that that you'd like to talk more about or anything you'd like to ask me about? We uh, live in a world in which some of the other faiths are engaged in violence against one another. And at times, at times that has involved encroachment on Buddhist symbols, for example. The statues, on Buddhist what? Uh, on Buddhist symbols, for example, uh-huh. the statues in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, does the advice against revilement I mean isn't there isn't it also wouldn't it also be necessary to, to draw some lines about that about what About what kind of behavior would be would be tolerated by Buddhists from other faiths for example I mean would, would that fall into this prescription of, of revilement Will tolerate, uh, you know, what other people do. I mean, you don't have to agree with it. Um, the point is whether you find yourself rising up with hatred. Um, so you can say, you know, I don't, I don't think this is a suitable source of action. You know, what's, this isn't doing you any good. Doesn't do anybody any good. Why bother to do it? Um, you know you can point out these other people's actions in this particular way um, um, it's funny how we kind of I mean uh, but then the, the, the sense of it really is the spirit of the Dhamma is that one doesn't um, act in violence you know or, or ill will towards other people because that's that's the that's the thing that that's the living current of the Dhamma if you blow up a few statues well that's a bit unfortunate but <laughs> you know, the statues are not going to get you enlightened anyway and <laughs> they're just statues so it's, it's a rather regrettable and, and seem rather childish action you know they're not doing anybody any harm <laughs> so you know but then that's what um, uh, So. I think as a Buddhist you you can kind of, all these outward forms really are not, that's the point of it, it's kind of indestructible because it's not contained in these outward forms, you could blow them all up it really wouldn't be the end of Buddhism. Might do it some good, you never know. In the, uh, for um, divine abiding, he uses the phrase, the phrase uh, altruistic joy, and then um, you know more maybe traditionally sympathetic joy, or um, like in the martial tradition, like you use uh, gladness. something about the different why choose gladness or what some of the connotations there or what's what are they trying to get at? Well the word uh, mudita which is the Pali word um, there's the root root of it is the the stem mud which means something like um, uh, rejoice appreciate that's its basic core meaning so, um, you know, you have this, the uh, word anumodana, which is what, when we chant the anumodana, it's anu means together with, modana is the same as Mood, it's the same root. So it means we're rejoicing together with you in line with, along with, this particular wonderful action you've done. That's what anumodana means in longhand. You know, it means that particular action let's all get around that and hey look at that that's really wonderful let's all appreciate that together so that's the sense of it it's it's an appreciation um, that is much more than just um, intellectual it's, it's a heart appreciation um, that bri- that is empathic it means I appreciate your actions you know, so, so so and and so is that that um, it's different from praising because the idea of it is it's to ask you also to appreciate your actions so we have appreciative joy i I tend to call it appreciative joy, altruistic i don't know but. Because well, altruistic joy comes from appreciative joy or appreciative gladness. It's a sense of of the happiness that comes in oneself through appreciating somebody else's goodness, and you know. And but then it's also you are asking them to appreciate their goodness. So it's a kind of very holistic thing. All these things are holistic to others as to oneself. You know, it spreads around. So the core, the root, root of it, the etymology of it is is this. The root mud, which means something like rejoice yeah. um, you also have another word pomoja, and again it's the same core root mud but there it's because pomoja pomoja M- is means part generally strengthens that that suffix generally em- strengthens something means thoroughly thoroughly glad you know and so that's the that's the experience one has um it's like an um The experience that arises in along with um the experience a uh, good a good deed or a sense of uh, inspiration. you know you see something that makes you that lifts you up, it's a lift of the heart, Pamja. And it, it's a sense of, of a kind of a the mind really moving into something, you know, mingling it, mingling it. So it's the same sort of feeling. And I guess with all these um, translations, you know, a person's got, the English language has got quite a lot of words that shade, of this slight, you know, more or less the same tone, slightly different. And they realize they've got to find a word to translate Pomodja a word to translate mudita a word to translate piti a tr- well, you know so they they don't really use the same word so they some will, so they try to find different different english words to to meet all of those all of those terms and uh, the quality of mudita is is its uh, um, it's empathic uh, you can actually uh, don't just appreciate. Something that's happened to you, but you appreciate another person's actions, and you you can also appreciate your own actions—not not an event that's happened, but something that's been done. So it's more about appreciating, like you're saying, action rather than someone's good fortune. Because I, I guess when I hear sympathetic joy, I'm always thinking oh, somebody just won the lottery, I'm supposed to be happy for them, <laughs> but someone gave away a million dollars. Yeah, I think it can, it can be used for, for anybody who's having a lucky break, but, uh, you know, because you just feel glad for their welfare. But more, more wisely, we realize that winning a million dollars isn't really all that good news. It's not as good as, as having given away a million dollars. Because winning a million dollars you probably just start then. <laughs> what are you going to do with it and so forth. <laughs> stress. <laughs> yeah, stress and, and you know, other people are going to start wanting to give them some of it and things like that. And also not, nothing particularly good has happened in yourself. But if you've actually done a good deed then that quality of that will stay with you. Um, you know, for a long time whereas if you've just been lucky, the quality of that doesn't stay with you for a long time. Rajana these kalamas um, when they the when the Buddha comes they some pay homage mm-hmm. some cordial talk. Is this a mixed audience? Yeah. That they're not his disciples. Well, they're not his disciples, you see. They're, they're just, they're not his disciples. That's why they call him Master Gautama, which, you know, one of his disciples wouldn't have called him that. It's a bit sort of familiar, really, or a bit. Um, so th- that's another thing about this sutta. They're, they're people who are just really, they haven't actually taken refuge in the Buddha. You know, so if you look also in the, there's a sutta in the Majjima called the Brahmins of Vis or something, yeah. again where the Buddha's addressing a group of Brahmins, they do pretty much the same. Some of them stand up and greet him, some of them sit down, some of them say a few words, some of them just look on and obviously eye him up and down. and <laughs> They're just being basically polite, but they're not, they don't, you know, you know this is our teacher. so. Um, so this is they are kind of some of them obviously are a bit more moved than others or a bit more kind of forward than others, but they're just giving basic politeness rather than a real sign of um you know uh, this this is this is our our guide, our teacher, and they might very well have been of different slightly different um, subcasts if they were see if they were. doesn't say, but if they were Brahmins, and the Brahmin caste. Well, um, the Buddha was a, a Kshatriya, so there was a little bit of um, feeling between those two castes. <laughs> at this time, I think at this time the Kshatriyas were the were the they were the princes and kings, and the Brahmins were kind of like priests. So it wasn't, and it wasn't really until long time after Buddhism the Brahmins became the, the superior caste they kind of sometimes thought themselves as superior but it wasn't exactly a done thing wasn't it? so there's a kind of a little bit of, of uh, jostling in terms of <laughs> caste uh, who who is, who is more uh, senior or more approved than, uh, than the other and so they might really well have some of them might have just been a little bit of a reservations on that on that respect context of the sutta because elsewhere he certainly delivers teachings and, and right. the audience to go by them and, mm, mm, and mm. to put faith in him yeah I, I think the thing perhaps is to say well don't go by them alone You know, so you can pick them up and say huh mm-hmm, that's what they say and let me see you know it's important you get the both. Uh, there's, I uh, think, it, it's also there's an admonition where the Buddha says, if someone expresses a, a teaching uh, uh, of the Buddha, says, well, the Buddha teaches this, that, and the other, then it should be laid against what is laid down in the in the sutras, and said, so you know, so that if it if it does fit what is said in the suttas, you should say, well, this is rightly said. This is what the Buddha did say. But again, it's really just. Making about accurate representation of what the Buddha said. So you you know, so it's to prevent misrepresentation of what the Buddha said. You should always check someone saying, "Well, the Buddha says we should do." You know, so well, actually, where did the Buddha say that? Can we can we show me? Then we'll look at that together. Oh yeah, you're right. Or no, he didn't say that. He said something like it, (laughs) but not quite. So that's just for verification. Still having you know, found out for oneself maybe that this is accurately what the Buddha said. Still the idea is that you take that in and you investigate it in the, um, I think it's in the Kitagiri Sutta, Kitagiri Sutta, the Majjhimi Nikaya Sutta 70, where there's, a, there's, a, there's it's a, it's an interesting kind of counterbalance to this one because this is where the the bhikkhus have accepted the Buddha as their teacher And the the Buddha is saying to them, um, look, bhikkhus, um, don't eat in the afternoon or the evening. I don't eat in the afternoon or the evening. I enjoy good health. And they say, very good, blessed one. You don't eat in the afternoon or the evening. Enjoy good health. We do eat in the afternoon or the evening. And we also enjoy good health. (laughs) 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 And then he (laughs) he (laughs) says, It's a slightly different response. <laughs> if you rec- if you look at that one, it's it's, a, it's quite a nice, it's an interesting sutta, but it, uh, but it does represent this kind of sense of a little bit of tension, and, and the Buddha says, "Well, you know, he goes through a, a range of, uh, of an exposition on different kinds of disciples: those who stream enterers and those who obtain stream entry through samadhi or faith, and so forth. But then he says to them, look, you know, it's not up to me to hassle around whether you, you follow me or not. I don't really care. It's not my, you know. But if you've given your faith, if you've actually listened to what I've said, and he talks about the process, if you, you, you're inspired by somebody, so you draw close, you listen to what they're saying, you take it in. And what actually does that mean? And you try to make it relevant for yourself. Then you put it into your, into your own Mind, heart, process, and you—you you struggle with it for a bit. Trying to, how does that bit about, you know, suffering and non-suffering, how does that really work for me? And then you work with it and chew it over, and then you get a result. And because of this, then you say, oh, this person speaks; he's my teacher. You know, so that's the process you know, of actually—you te- know—that you don't discount a teacher. But you don't accept it purely because it's somebody looks inspiring but you might listen you take it in you chew it over and then you well that's yeah that's my goodness that's true you know now if that's happened for you then he's saying well now that's what happened for you so because of that you know you you see me as your teacher therefore you what happened for you is is a, a sense of faith arose which was faith arose in in me as a teacher So if you now go against that, then you're destroying your own faith. Because, in a way, if you go for refuge to me and you say, well, I go for refuge to the Buddha except about eating (laughs) and (laughs) eating. Well, then that sort of chipped away the foundation of faith that you had. So he says, if you do this, then this is for your misfortune because you're destroying your own faith and he says for someone who has that deep uh, experienced that sense of faith it's proper that you should strengthen it and rely upon it even even going into you know pain and struggle in order to because because the faith is a very important thing now these people didn't have faith in the Buddha so he's saying well you know um, first of all he's encouraging them to do this process to actually listen to what he's saying to check it out for themselves, to experience the results. And they say, now you, you experience those results. They say, oh, wonderful. Now we have faith in the Blessed One. So, so that's, that's the process. It's not to discount what he's saying, but to pick it up and, and, play, and experiment with it. Mm-hmm. You can look it up for yourself. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, when I when I hear it red, that's the thing that sort of rises up for me. It's like okay. somebody opened somebody twenty five hundred years ago that fact that a random group of human beings could could go find this out for themselves. Um, so you can Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's pointing to the innate quality of wisdom that, that human beings have. I mean, two two things. First of all, that you know that, that this ascetic Gotama should just walk into town, and the good town folk gather around and start asking questions about spiritual matters. I mean, it doesn't happen in <laughs> you know, in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, people, I mean, this may be a slightly exaggerated account, who knows, but that people should have that, these kind of thoughts, topics in their mind as things they really want to find out about, you know, that bother them. You know, about, and that, that somebody comes in and they have the immediate sense of, okay, this, this guy's a, an ascetic, a wanderer right, you know, he's someone who can, uh, we'll check things out with him. He's not, you know, there's an immediate sense of basic respect for someone who's gone forth. So that's, that's, you know, very really nice. And the, 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 he actually points them to the, to the fac- Faculty of Wisdom, you know, which everyone has. Uh, again, in the, I think it's in the section, um, Series of questions and answers where I think Sariputta and Kotita or somebody are talking, and the uh, um, the other monk asks Sariputta, he says, "What's the difference between wisdom and consciousness? Are they separate? Or are they conjoined?" And the Buddha says, "It's difficult to." Uh, the, the Sariputta says, "Well, you know, it's difficult to separate them, wisdom and consciousness." And he says, so the fact, you know, you have both, but he says, wherever there's consciousness, there's wisdom, which is interesting, isn't it? Wherever there's consciousness and wisdom, this is how they they operate. So so the the other monk says, what's the difference between them, wisdom and consciousness? He says, well, um, wisdom is to be developed and consciousness is to be understood. You have to get wise about your own con- about consciousness. Yeah. So the, the fact that if one is conscious, one is wise. There is wisdom uh, as a property. You know, it may not be fully developed, but it's right there, in in just being in in being conscious. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, uh, so that the, the 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 problem that is, is presented in the Buddha's teachings is is that we lose connection with that. We, we move away from it. We look somewhere else, you know. We start looking at right here now, in what's happening in our own minds. You know, the basis of it, of being conscious, of what it is to have a mind that can open up, receive, take things in, measure, you know, sift out. The whole process of wisdom is is right here. And yet, we lose contact with it. We believe in, <coughs> Thoughts. We believe in ideas. We believe, you know, believe in passions. We believe in emotions, and we believe in various (coughs) things that form. We don't believe. We don't really take stock of just being conscious. (laughs) So this is what he's asking them. When you see, there's a kind of lovely. uh, I think one of the movements I often. Really enjoy both in the Buddha's teaching and any any teachings of wise people, is that things that seem really kind of complex and you know and got a lot of of um, intensities and suddenly just collapse into a very simple point. <laughs> you know, you go, oh yeah, oh all right. <laughs> you know, from from kind of what do we do about this down the other? Oh, that's that's thinking, isn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> if you hold on to that, you just keep going on and on, don't you?
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> if you stop doing
0: that, then your your mind feels calm. Oh, you know. So it's so always that sort of sense of the 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 uh, um, you know how wisdom is actually not a further. Um, creation on top of what you're already experiencing it's the stepping back from what you already experience and really just letting it fall into place you know so the wisdom is actually uh, uh, rising wisdom is experiences a sense of relief joy ease openness rather than uh, you know some complex thought structure that one has arrived at you know uh, so that that's that's uh Uh, You know, uh, we experience that a lot in these suttas, how there's a sort of uh, almost a collapse of complexity into something that's very immediate and um, direct. Equin- uh, equanimity mm-hmm. in the four abidings i mm-hmm, had mm-hmm. a hard time trying to comprehend mm-hmm. Upeka is Pali word equanimity <clears throat> and in this particular um, reference as one of the Brahma Vihara it's um, the mind essentially not bound, not going up and down. You know, so, 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 you see. Normally, we might feel, oh, you know, I had a good day. Oh, great! Oh, I had a bad day. Bad. You know, bong, up and down. You know, some, some of those. Uh, So equanimity is, is is the recognition of of up and down. You know, what goes up will come down. What goes down, you know, these are just movements in in the in the realm of change. So you, you're kind of not emotionally tethered to the ups and the downs. So, isn't it the the acceptance of that is the way things are? Or is acceptance super- is part of it. Yeah, you know, acceptance is part of it. I would say it's it's, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a great breadth, an emotional breadth it's an emotional breadth in it um, it's like the Brahma Vihara seem to get wider and wider you know, emotionally wider, so they start with something that's quite brisk you know, loving-kindness and compassion, they've got quite some movement in them it couldn't have been very, very wide, it means you know you can be with the painful, the pleasant, the inspiring, the uninspiring and you see it all just as stuff that's passing through you feel it just as that it doesn't mean that you um, are ignorant of pleasure and pain but that you can embrace it you can, you can accept it if you like not just intellectually but emotionally there are uh, um, some interesting references to this I think one of them that is um, you know, when the Buddha says, well, when the, when I give a teaching to the monks and they don't listen to me, they don't practice what I'm teaching, I'm not pleased, but I'm equanimous about that. <laughs> <laughs> and when, they do, when I give a teaching and they do practice and they get results, I'm pleased, but I'm equanimous about that. You know, so you can experience the sense of, oh, that's very nice, but something who also says, Okay, well, we'll be with that you know we'll be with the happy state we'll be the unhappy state, and it allows the emotions to move without you kind you don't kind of tag onto these emotional states so you can, you know. it's also it's also associated with understanding cause and effect karma so um you know, so something um, skill, something fortunate happens there is equ- equanimity, oh well, something fortunate has happened there will be a good result to this, uh, let it let it happen, you know, something un- unskillful is done, there will be an unskillful result to this that's the way it is, it's like that, so you don't this is the end of the, of the kind of sorrow, lamentation or, or congratulations, it's just things speak for themselves. Things will speak for themselves, it's that kind of understanding of it equanimity. Uh, and and, the, and the, I think very touching is when the Buddha's two chief disciples, Sariputra and Moggallana, passed away. And he said, You know, this place is now empty for me. You know, this Sangha of Bhikkhus is now empty. These two great beings, you know, who obviously felt were absolute bastions of, the, of his teaching and, and disciples had enormous trust in both of them have died. And he said, this, I look around this assembly of Bhikkhus and it looks really empty to me. And it is, it is amazing that I can see this and I still feel enormous. <laughs> you know, it's not that he's not missing them, or doesn't feel somehow struck by, by the loss of these two beings but despite that his mind can accept that you know. and he, he's, he's even surprised himself that he could, he could actually experience equanimity in the face of such great loss so it doesn't, it doesn't um, necessarily replace the emotions but it adds a kind of big space around them where we can accept the, the the emotional ups and downs of our lives, and that means the whole process gets a lot more. Uh, the Process of our feelings is is manageable, and it's 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 instructive. Every one of us who experience grief, every one of us well, I hope will experience joy, you know. And but if you're tight around it, then it's like you know you to be able to kind of. Experience grief there has to be enough space to allow yourself to feel all this stuff and and let it move and the same thing with 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 happiness and success you know enough just give it some space and that's what equanimity does it means you 've got some sense of okay, this is a feeling this is the emotions this is what they do that's the way they are that's the process that's what happens to you know <laughs> in in the human heart and I can be with that you know not trying to not feel things so it's it's, uh, and you see in your own life well this is what I'm working with this is my karma this is what's happening for me okay this is what's happening for you I can be with that and that's what equanimity um, allows it's something to be developed it doesn't mean indifference that's, that's a wrong wrong understanding of it it doesn't mean you kind of don't care anymore but you can, you, can ex- you can be with your joys and sorrows in a way that means you, you, you learn a lot more both about yourself and about the nature of the emotions okay, I think that's all good, thank you although he uh, uh, talks about wisdom. We've been talking about common wisdom and how anyone could make these evaluations. Isn't he saying here that there's quite a bit of purification that should occur before you begin to sit down and decide whether something will cause suffering or, or begin to evaluate um, teachings of various kinds? That some purification should happen. I guess that the purification just recollecting whether one's mind is overpowered by greed, hatred or delusion. Mm-hmm. So so that's that's the that's, if you like the purification. But free from hmm? from that as yeah. a kind of a minimum. Well, that at least you well, I mean you at least acknowledge, um, you know, so you, you, feel, you feel yourself being kind of angry or vindictive or righteous, you know, about something. Wait a minute, what does that feel like? And so you just just, just put that on hold. So you don't follow that particular mental state because you begin to, where does this take me to? You know, I've, I've done this many times probably. Where does it take me to? It takes me to feeling. You know, irate, bitter, disappointed. We go there again. <laughs> so it's it's a kind of at least a purification of intention. You know, so at least you're not going to. Fo- doesn't mean you don't experience those things, but you say, "Oh, okay, won't f- won't contribute to that, won't follow it." That's the thing I've got to actually stand back from. And uh, when so, and I think whenever. What becomes apparent is, in terms of practice, is whenever you, one experiences these things, and they're, uh, and they're clearly acknowledged as such, you know, and you, you, oh, it's that, and you step back, you lift off that, you step back from that. There is that, you really step back from it. The mind can open into a more holistic sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, yeah and then, then there's that sense of the quality of these more empathic qualities can, can arise or can be discerned mm. and these are all around views, forming views and uh, you know, it's one of the things that the Buddha most often well, most often but very repeatedly um, highlighted, underlined the attachment to views, and the contention of views and disputes are all because of views. <laughs> you know, and, that, and the fascination with, with forming a view, and in the um, again in the Brahmajala Sutra, he goes through the 64 different kinds of views that could be had. He says that Tathagata knows this view. He understands how this view arises. He understands the fascination that can arise in having a viewpoint about this. He also understands the danger of it. Knowing this, he releases it, and he's not, he's not bound by this view. And So, so <laughs> it's like, it's a because he, doesn't, he doesn't actually say what view he has. He doesn't <laughs> have one. He just knows every view that can arise, and how interesting that is. Wow, I've got this, and then you, uh oh. <laughs> Step back from that, and, and because of this, he is—he is, he can't be traced, because he doesn't take a standpoint. <laughs> and in the in the sutta where he's addressing Diganaka Lone I think it's Diganaka, Lone, uh, this is where Sariputta became an arahant, listening to this talk, and this is where the uh, the Diganaka says to, to the Buddha. Well, what's your view? What's your view, you know, Gautama, what's your view? And uh, the Buddha says, my view is I don't don't contend with anyone. (laughs) So he goes, oh, okay, um, right, (laughs) very good. (laughs) So, uh, you know, well, my view, he says, my view is nothing whatsoever is pleasing to me. Nothing whatsoever is pleasing to me. And the Buddha says, oh, that view, nothing whatsoever is pleasing to you, does that view please you? <laughs> 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 so it's a really nice bits of jiu-jitsu, you know, where the Buddha continually kind of steps back from forming any kind of view, but just points directly at what's happening in the mind of the, of the questioner or the interlocutor. You know, what's actually happening is that as they start to grapple around the view, they just say, look, you know, That's what happens, isn't it?